Hello and welcome to Brits on Flicks, your monthly movie podcast where we discuss, deliberate and dissect a movie of our choosing. This month, the movie is Cohen and Tate. This is a first time watch for both you and I, Brian. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the filmmaker who I know you're a big fan of. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, like this, <laughs> I actually did a double bill last night and it's the first of two films that I've seen of his that he actually directed. Um, I've seen his previous work, it's just movies that he wrote but didn't direct. Uh, but they all three are absolutely great films. So The Hitcher, um, Blue Steel and uh, Near Dark. So he wrote all three of them. I think they're absolute 80s classics. Um, and yeah, so now we're getting into the territory of of movies he, he not only wrote, but directed. And yeah, Cohen and Tate being the first of those. I watched Body Parts as well after this. Um, but yeah, so it is. It's, it's a new thing for me seeing... Um, it, it, it's, it's a bizarre thing, actually, because I think it's a good kind of test to see the quality of a filmmaker um, when they start out as a writer when, they, when they've not really directed their own material I think uh, like a more recent entry into that kind of uh, filmmaker is uh, Alex Garland so you know he, he wrote one of my favorite science fiction movies of all time Sunshine he's, he's, he's done some other work with um, Danny Boyle and then he directed Ex Machina. And sometimes you, you see in, in screenwriters, you see where the director, if, if it's a different director, you see where the director maybe has polished some of the weak spots in the script or has taken what that writer has, has, has done and, and really brought it to life. And that's where you see the skill of a director like you know such as Catherine Bigelow uh, such as um, I, I can't remember his name some, something Harmon who did The Hitcher you know um, <coughs> it, it, it's, it's very easy to look at those films and say yes they're brilliantly written um, you know it's, let's put that all down to the writer what a great script and I, I, I'm not discounting that I'm, you know I still think Eric Red is a great writer the question is is he as good a director as he is a writer, it would would one of are his script better served by a director who is you know an, an A list director who really knows to get the best out of things, um, or, or or by him you know by the person whose mind these these scripts came out of. I think that's a an interesting thing to look at, and you can do that by looking at a filmmaker like this one, like Eric Red, and and just. Yeah, seeing how he does handling his own material as a director, um, which obviously we're going to get into right now. So, yeah, I've got to say it's, it's not a name I was familiar with. Uh, obviously, we talked a little bit about it when we did The Hitcher, mm. and um, mentioned that it was near dark, blue steel, those kind of movies, those movies that are classics, like you say. And I feel after watching Cohen and Tate, there is a, a very parallel line working between Near Dark, The Hitcher mm. and Cohen and Tate uh, of thematics as well yeah. and it's, a, it's like a little trio of movies that for me really do work together and have kind of interchangeable themes throughout them. I'm curious to go and check some of the guys other stuff because I haven't really seen much more of it other than those big three like yourself mm. 
But um, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to just getting into talking about this movie. So, Ryan, do you have a synopsis for us? I do. Okay. So, when a family hiding in witness protection is all but wiped out, along with their bodyguards, the two hitmen responsible kidnap the nine-year-old boy who survived. They drive him across country with the intention of handing him over to the mob for questioning. But the young boy turns out to be a wolf in sheep's clothing. As he plays the two men off each other, driving them closer to the edge, it's only a matter of time before blood will be spilled between Cohen and Tate. <laughs> well done, Brian. Um, <clears throat> now, I've got to say, until we talked about this director previously, I hadn't heard of this movie before, yeah. which... For me, it's strange because this is the kind of era where I came into my own as a movie watcher. I would spend lots of times in the video shop looking at various covers and I can't remember coming across this movie at all. And I don't know if it's because of the lacklustre name. You know, it's not a, a yeah. punchy name that really jumps out at you. So I, I don't know why it, it, I never stumbled across it before or have ever heard of it since. But my initial... So the idea of this movie, just seeing the cover, seeing the title, was Buddy Cop movie <laughs> from the eighties, and nothing could be further from the truth here. Mm, yeah, yeah. We 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 look at the bad guys, not the good guys. That's the thing. It's like Cohen and Tate, as you say. It sounds like the name of two cops. They're gonna they're gonna bust some asses and take some names. And actually, no, this, we're we're following the guys that. Really, we we should be hunting down. Um, so yeah, and but but I I agree completely. The the title, not a good one. Mm. It's not a draw. It is misleading. Like I mean, and it's it's a sub it's a subliminal thing. I think a subconscious thing. Just that you know, Cohen and Tate. Like you say, you instantly think buddy cop. You don't think buddy assassins. Um, you know, if, if if I was told that that's what it's about, even when you pick this, even when this was a one of your choices. Like, I, I knew that it was an Eric Red film, but I'd never really done any reading up on it. So I had always assumed it was a cop film, that these, these two guys were cops. And when, when we have the opening shot and we come in on this house and we see these two uh, bodyguards outside the house, these, these guys in suits, I instantly thought, well, there's Cohen, there's Tate. One, one of these guys is Cohen, the other is Tate, and, and it's not. These these guys get wasted by Cohen and Tate, and um, mm -hmm. so yeah, so just I think it goes to show just how much a title alone can write can write off the bat can instill a sense of identity, the film's identity in your mind, and yeah, this yeah the title doesn't do a very good job of instilling the the film's identity. I don't think. Mm. I think uh, for me, one of one of the strangest things about the movie, and uh, and I mean it in a, a positive way, is the little opening crawl, where it just gives you a little bit of the backstory of what's happening here. Mm. You know, it's an, unusual to get that just a little paragraph, and then the movie jumps right into the story. There's no, I mean, that is the preamble that could have been wasted on maybe five, ten minutes of screen time. Mm. But there's a, an obvious choice there to go. It could have been budgetary to go, you know what, we don't need to shoot that. Let's just get rid of that. Let's start the story where it gets really kind of interesting. But we just jump into it straight away and we get the opening scene at the farmhouse. And again, we get the brutality 
of Cohen and Tate. You know, our two lead actors, the two characters that we're going to follow, and they are vicious uh, and without mercy. Mm. Particularly Tate. Uh, yes. You know, we, we, like ne- neither one of these guys is going to be winning any morality awards anytime soon. But uh, yeah, clearly Tate is the. I mean, it is the buddy cop scenario. You've got a loose mm. cannon, one who's you know off the rails all the time, um, and then one who's very calm, very relaxed, very thoughtful. Um, you know. Uh, and yeah, that that is. It's it's the lethal weapon kind of trope. Just yeah, we're we're looking at it from the bad guys' point of view. Um, obviously, I, I know Adam Baldwin mostly from Firefly, Sorrenti, uh, and obviously Roy Roy Schneider for Roy, Roy Schneider or Roy Schneider. It's Schneider, isn't it? Roy Schneider. Um. I, I, do you know what? I'm not 100% yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I've always had a trouble, that trouble. I think, I've always said Schneider. Yeah. For some reason, but, I think it's Scheider. Um, but yeah, yeah. Roy Scheider. Um, so he, from Jaws, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, a good actor, but not one that kind of has ever been on, you know, high on my list of. You know, it doesn't spring to mind when I'm thinking list of greatest actors or anything. But uh, of the two of them here, I certainly think he. He does the the best job of it. Uh, I I like his character. You get you you get little snippets of background, and and when I say little, I mean very little as to who these guys are. But it's just enough to develop them. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know about you, but I get the sense that Tate is someone who had a really rough time at school. Was maybe bullied. Um, and that kind of led him down a violent path uh, where mm. really deep down he's always been fighting those bullies. He's, al- he's always been killing those bullies. That's kind of his way of getting back at them, and it's just turned him into a bit of a psychopath. Um, mm. And then with Cohen, you get the sense that uh, he, he's a married man, maybe, or at mm. least has an ex-wife who, who may n- desperately need the money, and this is literally just a methodical decision for him. It's it's something yes. he's good at. It's something that he finds easy to do. Maybe because he doesn't have uh, that kind of feelings that he has towards his wife, towards other people. Uh, so he just mm. yeah, he does it. He sends the money, um, and and that's that. And that's literally all the backstory we get for these two guys. But it's just enough. Um, but you, you get enough in, in the way they carry themselves and the way they talk throughout the movie, you know, the, just the way they are with the kid mm. and with each other gives you an insight to the people that they are. But I think you're, you're right, you do have uh, Tate, who is quite clearly a sociopath, mm. who enjoys what he is doing. You know, he's, he's murdering people and, and he's getting pleasure from it. And then you have Cohen, who seems more practical, tries to do it as efficiently and as quickly as he can, and it's a job. It's not the nicest job, he knows it isn't, but it's the way that he pays the bills and he just wants to get it over with as quickly and easy and, and the most efficient way possible. And it is, with these two characters together, you get a deconstruction of the sort of buddy movie because these two guys are paired together, they don't want to be together, they don't like each other, and they're not going to get on and there is a constant threat between each of them that they're going to take each other out. At any point, you know, there's a distrust here. And throughout the movie, I kept thinking, if, if one of these guys 
was doing this job themselves, I think they would have had a higher rate of success. I think they would have been better at it. But mm. because they're forced to work together, that kind of throws off uh, in their ability to do it. Because there is a comment that Cohen makes that they, they've been forced to work together. Yeah. So it's not by choice. Um, and, and, and I kind of like that, that idea that was there. Yeah, yeah, I do. It's it's because again, that's that's the trope of uh, like your lethal weapons and such like, mm. and it is that the two cops get forced together, and despite mm-hmm. their differences, they will find some common ground where they actually end up becoming friends. Whereas here, it kind of th- this is more dealing with the reality, I think, which is that actually people like this won't get on. Um, yeah. th- there is no common ground. These two people are far too different. And it, it will all end in tears or bloodshed mm-hmm. in, in the case of these two guys. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I mean, like, going back to the, the house scene, um, mm-hmm. it, it is... It, it, it's not the best way to... I mean, obviously, it's, that's the intention. Um, like, it's not the best way to endear us to these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they they basically wipe out this family that have literally just two minutes prior to this been praying over the, the dinner table. Um, they come in, show no mercy whatsoever. Um, so right off the bat, you're like, oh, so they're, they're Conan Tate. They're, they're the Conan Tate of the title. So the... These are the guys we're going to be following. These are our protagonists, like they're they're protagonist antagonists. Um, so yeah, so that it's a bit of an interesting flip there, I think. And then when they steal this boy, so they kidnap this boy, uh, put him in the car, and then they tell us they've got I, I think he said three hundred and something miles, fifty five or something. Yeah, it's, it's, it's some distance anyway. They've got to travel. Instantly you know, okay, this is a road movie. It's a road mm-hmm. movie about these two dysfunctional hitmen with this boy. What's going to happen? It, it's got one of two routes, really, that it can take. One, this, this kid will become something of a son to them, which softens their hearts and makes them change their minds, or at least makes one of them, the prime con- candidate probably being Cohen, change have a change of heart and go up against the other one in order to save the kid or the other route which is probably the less cliched less expected route which is that actually this kid turns out to be something of a little (laughs) a little uh, something or other he's very good at manipulating these two guys constantly throwing a spanner in the works and and just yeah, just works to to sour their plans and turn the two of them against each other. Even Cohen, who is clearly a very intelligent man, um, but is still suckered by this kid and his manipulations, which yeah. for me is the the more interesting of the two routes to go, the less cliched one, um, and it, it does give the film a very dark twist. But uh, like. As soon as we know it's a road movie from that point on, because we know, yeah, we've got many hundreds of miles to go, they're going to be stuck in this car, we know it's a road movie, that's when you instantly get those Hitcher vibes, the Near Dark vibes, because much of Near Dark kind of takes place as a road movie. Uh, Eric Red seems very 
kind of uh, fixated on on that kind of American landscape. Very has like a, a Western flavor to it. I know he has made a couple of westerns, uh, so yeah, he's, he's he's definitely got his foot feet firmly entrenched in that kind of ground. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's like psychopaths on tour in all three mm. of these kind of movies. It's it's killers just moving through the the, the American wasteland yeah. type of thing. Um, but yeah, this kid, which is probably um, like a more realistic version of Home Alone, kind of Kevin's character <laughs> who's, who's stuck in the back of this car, mm. is and kids can be manipulative. Oh yes. Anyway, <laughs> but, but, but this one more so is is fairly intelligent, and, and and he uses all the information he gets, mm. you know, and <clears throat> even the way that Cohen and Tate talk to him, they don't treat him like a kid. You know, at one point, Tate punches him in the face. <laughs> um, Mr. Cohen answers his questions, you know, like, are they going to kill me? And he's just like, yeah, probably. Mm. You know, they don't try and sugarcoat anything. Yeah. And and the boy's kind of, with this honesty, he knows that his only chance is this journey. Mm. He has to get away from these guys in this journey or do something to, to, to get himself to safety. Yeah. And he does it masterfully. Because <laughs> all the way through, I'm like, wait, just this kid. And then at the end, you find out he's nine year old. And, and I find moments, I the, the look on Cohen's face as well, when he knows he's been defeated by a nine yeah. year old. And it's like, he just, he, yeah, puts, puts a cap in himself. Because he knows, actually, you know what? I don't deserve to live if I've been taken this, this mm-hmm. much by a nine year old. So, yeah. yeah. But, but the fun thing is, as well, you don't. Um, you don't believe that any of the choices aren't real to the characters. Yeah. You know, it doesn't do anything that you you go like, oh no, he wouldn't think of that. He wouldn't do that. He, he does everything that he can. I think one of the the bits I was just laughing at, I thought was great, is when they're looking for the map. Yes, and he's and just he's just there chewing on it, kind of <laughs> la- just lying down, like uh, uh, trying to put his tongue on it, and just yeah, yeah, it's just and 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 when um, Tate look, he kind of just gives a, a little glance backwards and says, is the map back there, kid? You know, like, <laughs> he's not your friend. Why are you, he's not going to get you the map. You you know, you, you simpleton. But, uh, yeah, it, it, there are moments of humour like that littered throughout. It's kind of like a dark humour that is definitely very Eric Red-like. Yeah. Um, and, and you get these nighttime shots of motorways that are kind of large and empty, and it's, you get this, the sense it's just this car. Uh, just floating through the, the ether almost mm. some weird uh, choices there one thing that does perpetrate the movie quite a bit is the violence when it comes it, it, it comes and it's quite bloody and drastic mm. places. what did you think of some of these scenes yeah I, they had some bite to them I'll, yeah. I'll give it that Like, I, and I wasn't expecting that because and I think this goes back to what you were saying before which is that I, I'd never really heard anything about this film it, so it, I kind of got the sense and, and when I look at a lot of, you know if I go on Letterboxd IMDb whatever and I look at Eric Red's filmography I look at the films he's directed I, I, don't, I don't know why but and I think it's probably a budgetary thing marketing and all that lot I, I always get the sense that his his films are the uh, are of the straight to video variety, um, mm. and, and you know watching this and obviously body parts which I said I, I'd watched last night as well, um, they're not really they, 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 you watch them and they they don't feel like straight 
to, to video stuff. You know, I, they just, I just get the feeling that they maybe didn't have the kind of marketing behind them that they should have done. Uh, they, they're clearly not of the highest budget. You know, I think, um, I think if, if, the, if this film would have had a higher budget, they could have hired better actors and, you know, bigger, bigger names, so to speak. I, I don't mean to diss Adam Baldwin or um, Roy Scheider, but, yeah, I mean, like, imagine what this film would have been with, uh, you know, whoever the, the biggest star was back, back then and uh, character actor-wise. Um, yeah, I, I think it would have brought a lot more to the film. So I think there are a few weak spots in it, and I do think that comes from the performances a lot of the time. Um, okay. I, I certainly think Red does a good job from the directing standpoint. It does, it does have a style to it that does feel quite reminiscent to the likes of a Hitcher, you know, of a mm-hmm. film that Red didn't direct, he wrote but didn't direct. Um, so I, I certainly think he's got a good handle of it in that regard. There, there are a couple of weak spots as well in the writing, I will say. Um, one is the first scene where... So, so the kid has just escaped and he pulls over the cop. So he's in the he's in the car with the cop, and then we have yeah. this scene in which um, the kid thinks he sees the car with mm-hmm. Cohen and Tate in. So he starts screaming, he's crying, he's, 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 he doesn't want the cop to pull over. The cop kind of does. He's, he pulls this car over, and he gets out. And, and and I'm thinking at that point. I mean, like we find out, just a, you know, just after that, that this isn't the car. It's not Cohen mm-hmm. and Tate's car. This is some old deer. Um, but I don't buy for a second that that cop is getting out. I don't buy for a second that he's going to try and and arrest these two guys. You know, um, I don't buy for a second that he wouldn't take this kid seriously. You know, he he's he's already radioed in. What's going on? The people on the other end of the radio said, "Yeah, this sounds like our kid," so they know. You know, the, the, the police are aware of this massacre that's happened. They're aware that this kid is on the loose. So, I, I yeah, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying that that copper is dumb enough to pull these guys over. He, you know, he, he's got to take this kid seriously. And if he's going to do that, then he's got to assume that there are two hitmen in the front of that car who will expend no effort whatsoever in, in trying to kill this guy. So, no, he's, he's calling for backup. And he's following them, um, but he certainly ain't stopping to pull them over. Um, like I say, really, I hadn't out, actually thought about that. Mm, yeah, I, I didn't think about that at all because I was kind of like, I, I liked the little boy's acting when mm. he was freaking out. Yeah, you know, like begging at me stop not to do it. Um, and then I think probably just just after that is the most Hitcher-like scene in the movie mm. where um, the hitmen yeah. just happen to appear. Mm. Out, out of nowhere, like Rudger Howard did, you know, just yeah, they're yeah, just yeah. there and they're just like, oh, that's they just happen to find a boy and a moving <laughs> car up on the waterway. Yeah, but yeah, go to, on to your other points here, Brian. Uh, yes, so so that to me was was uh, like I'd, I'd literally just take that scene out. You could take that scene out, you wouldn't notice, you wouldn't notice because, like, literally just after Cohen and Tate appear, and we're back to the boy crying again, and 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 it and it, it, it would feel a lot more believable that way because the cop obviously he's got no choice but to try and go up against these guys who are coming and trying to shoot them and ram them off the road and whatnot. Um, yeah, so take that scene out, it, it, it would instantly improve that that 
well, improve the film. Um, the second one was, uh, okay, so we've got, the, the, it's just after Tate has been shot by Cohen. Cohen stuffs him in the boot and they stop at this gas station. And the the attendant there looks, he, he's filling up the car and he looks on the floor and there's there's tons of blood, like literally blood pouring out of the, the boot. And I, I buy that. I buy that we get that blood because Tate is dead. He's been shot. He's got a hole in him. Um, blood is pouring out. So, uh, But I'm assuming he's dead. At this point, I'm absolutely certain he's dead. But mm. then... Uh, we have the scene when Cohen opens the boot, Tate jumps out like some kind of superhero, um, and he's alive. He's alive. Not only is he alive, but he's he's pretty sprightly to be able to jump out like that. So by that point, I'm not buying that there would have been that much blood. To, you know, going back to the the, the gas service, the service attendant. There's no way he would be bleeding enough to go through the carpet in the mm. back of in the boot um, and for it to leak through whatever hole it finds and then drip that much onto the floor for this guy to see it. Um, I hadn't thought about that, but he's wearing a bulletproof vest. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so he wouldn't even the... be bleeding anyway. So all the blood yeah. from him has come from his fall out of the car. We see he's got blood, he's got you know marks on his yeah. head, he's bleeding on his head because obviously he's, he's fell out of the car. He's, he's kind of rolled in the dirt and stuff. So there is no way there is blood pouring through any hole anywhere in that boot. Mm. I'm not buying it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't think about that at all. Yeah. So um, so to me, they're, they're the two weak spots in the film, aside from, like I say, the performances aren't bad. You know, I don't look at this and think, oh, man, these performances are terrible. But I do, I do, I look at them and I think... The, 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 the performances are a symptom of the budget that Red has to work with here. Like I say, not bad, definitely serviceable, good performances, but not great performances. Uh, again, I don't think I, that's... I think the boy's pretty good. I think the boy is very very good, I think, actually. I think he's a bit the best. Yeah, he I do. I think I think he's very good. Um, um, I just and much like the movie where he bests the other yes, two, he does yes, it in the acting stage. Absolutely, stage, yeah. I just think if you know if Eric Red had a bit more money behind him, a bit more studio backing, with this script, and he was you know he was able to cast whichever actors he wanted, then you know like it, 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 there's a lot to be said for just how much a great actor can raise the the level of of a film, of a screenplay, and whatnot, um, just just by virtue of what they can do with their talent. Um, uh, yeah, so that to me is my three criticisms. Those two scenes, and just like I say, not bad acting by any stretch, but yeah, could have been better in places. Beyond that, I I, I think this film is is really well written for the for the for the rest of it. You know, other than those two blips, the rest of it is really well written. We've got some pretty well defined characters for for the for the story that we're in. We get enough of a sense of who they are without being hit over the head with exposition and, and things like that to, you know, unnecessary, give us unnecessary backstory. We just get given enough uh, to be invested. Uh, I, I think the, the 
Dad shoots it with enough style. Um, particularly like like there's certain moments like towards the end when we're in the oil field mm-hmm. and we get this kind of green lighting uh, coming off. Um, it, it just it just I thought visually it just it, yeah it looked pretty nice actually it looked it looked pretty pretty well done. Um, uh, yeah, I like these characters. I I like the the way it, where it goes. Uh, I like the, uh, the the final kind of conflict uh, and and how like say how Cohen kind of realizes he's been bested by this nine year old boy. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I I mean I'm just thinking about who who would you cast if you could have anybody in the movie. Mm. And the Cohen and Tate roles, and I think, I think I would go back to, um, Eric Red's other movies, and I think I would go for Rudger Hauer oh. and uh, Bill Paxton. Oh yes, man alive! Yeah, I put Bill Bill Paxton as Tate, and yes. Rudger Hauer as Cohen. The, oh man alive! That would be flipping awesome casting. Yeah, yeah, that, but that's exactly what I'm talking about. You put those two actors in those two roles, instantly this film gets an extra star. Just just because you know those actors could bring something to it that Scheider and Baldwin just aren't capable of. Like I say, no disrespect to those guys, but yeah. Especially Paxton, that's the kind of role he could have done in his oh, sleep. Big time, yeah, absolutely. Man yeah. alive. That, 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 gets me, that actually gets me salivating, <laughs> the thought of... Of of uh, of that, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that would that would have been absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, anything else on Cohen and Tate? Um, let's see. Yeah, the, the, a scene that I really liked actually, uh, which was the you know we, we've we've seen it hundred times before in loads of different films, but you always wonder how you know how is it going to play out here? How how are they going to do it differently here? Um, and it's the scene in which they come to a roadblock. Yes. Um, yeah. Which I, I absolutely loved because as soon as they hit it, you know, there's, there's, there's at least four cops there, two patrol cars, the, you know, they're stopping all these cars. They can't get out because they've got a car wedged right behind them and, and one in mm. front. They've got no choice but to go through this roadblock. How are they going to do it? How are they going to defeat these four cops? Um, and get through this roadblock, and I, I, I love the way they do it. The the way mm-hmm. they just, you know what, balls to it. They literally pull their guns on the two cops at the side and just say, "You're going to walk us through, or we're going to blow you away, and we're going to blow away the kid that's in the front of that car in front of us." Yeah. Um, it's just like no messing about. Um, you know, and 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 they're clever with it as well. When they get to the actual roadblock, they don't just go through and get going and then end up in a chase. They do everything they need to do to, to, to just cut the feet off these, these coppers. They take their guns, mm. they take their car keys, they make them handcuff themselves, and then just for good measure, they get out of the car once they're through the roadblock and blow up their, their cars. I feel like their police cars blow up just a little bit too easily, but hey-ho, that's a trope of the 80s action movie. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I love that scene. It's a great scene. It's a great scene, and one of my favourite moments in that scene is when the the cop goes in to get the radio, and there's a gun lying there. Mm. Yeah, and you're like, oh yes. no, this this is the guy. This yeah. is the guy that ruins everything. Yeah, the hero. He, yep. he wants to. And be then him. you just see his boss just shaking his head, mm. and he just comes out with the, the, the radio, and you're like, oh, whew. 
But, but I, I like that for, for, for a couple of reasons. One is, again, it's the reality that's brought to the situation. Because you, you, you think about how would this play out in real life? And I think, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest, pretty much like this. <laughs> you know, because yeah. it, it, it's not believable that the cops would give up all their guns, you know, just, just because they said, give us your guns. Mm-hmm. Of course they're going to leave one lying around. And so the fact that it's there, I, I like that they cover that. I like that Red thinks of that, you know, that, yeah, clearly they're still going to have one on standby. But also... I like that he does think of that prospect of one thinking about it, but then the guy in charge thinking, you know what, the collateral damage here just ain't worth it. Do not touch that gun. You know, we've got kids here, we've got families here, let them through. Um, that to me is, is much more believable than going out in a blaze of glory, all these coppers kind of, you know, trying to make one last stand. Yeah, it, it wouldn't happen. Um, so, yeah. And we get the the finale of the movie, the city showdown between Cohen and Tate, and um, that's kind of what you expect to happen. And then we get the the, the epilogue with Mister Cohen mm. as he's driving into the town. He's he seems to be mortally wounded, mm. and the cops just come on him. And that's when he discovers the boy's age, and it's just kind of like <sighs> I felt it was like a fitting ending mm. yeah. to the movie. You know, the, our true hero. The, the character that we've really been following, Travis, is the is the last person alive. He mm. survived. Yeah. I mean, it's shot through the prism of uh, the point of view of the assassins, but this is really all Travis's story and how he's going to survive this ordeal. Yeah. Another callback to the Hitcher as well, because I feel like a lot of Hollywood films, a lot of uh, if, if if this was made today, I think we'd have a final scene in which we see Travis reunited with his father, throwing his arms around him, and, mm. you know, oh, I've been through the ordeal. But no, we, that's, at this point, that is not important. The hitman shoots himself because he knows he's been bested by a nine-year-old. Yeah. End credits. Boom. Mm-hmm. It's like we don't, we, don't, we don't even get to, to see... We don't get to breathe after that moment because... There's finality in that, you know. That's enough finality. That's all the finality we need. Move on to the end credits, and that's kind of like what we got with the Hitcher when, uh, you know, just it ends with Halsey, Jim Halsey, shooting the Hitcher. He lights up a fag, and then yeah, the credits come up, and it's just yeah, nothing after. No reuniting with anyone. No police Mm -hmm. turning up to, you know, to to whatever. Uh, Just yeah. The deed is done. The credits come up. Um, yeah, I, I do like the moment in the car. Just just a few moments before that, where Cohen puts the the gun to the boy's head, mm. and and the boy just as cool as you, like, yeah. you know, tells him you would you would do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is just is awesome. I I, I do I, I like this movie a lot. Um, I I take it we're done. Are we just going to go into wrap ups? Yeah, right? go on, go into wrap ups. I, I like this movie a lot. I like the way that it. It jumps straight into the story, and like you just said there, it, as soon as it, the story's done, we end this tale. It it's, feels as if there's very little to no fat on the movie at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. You know, and it's it's almost about these three characters, and the interplay is all fun because they're all antagonistic towards one another. One another. And the, the action set pieces are visceral, violent, and, and uh, something that I really enjoyed. I loved a lot about this movie. I don't think it's it's a perfect movie. 
I think it's a great companion piece to something like The Hitcher or Near Dark. Um, and like we said, with some better uh, actors, could have been a little bit better. With some of the scenes that you pointed out that I didn't actually notice first time around, that they do seem to stand out a little bit. It'll probably be something I'll pay attention to on a second watch, but this is a movie that I will go back and watch again. And on a first initial watch, I just I marvelled at why I had never heard of this before when it was so fun and entertaining. And for me, I gave it four out of five. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think you fix those problems that I, that I mentioned. They're not major. Like I say, that, that, that both those two scenes are pointed out are very, you know, well, what one's just a, a short sequence you could just literally take out. Another one is that it's maybe a bit of a bigger fix because it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's rooted amongst like three, it's a connective tissue, so to speak. Mm. So, you fix them, then this definitely would get at least a four out of five from me. You know, um, you put you put a lister actors in it; it could very could very well go to a five, uh, a bit like Hitcher was for me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, as it stands, I'm going to give it a three and a half out of five. I still mm. really enjoy this. I think it's very well written, um, despite those couple of issues. I think Red does a very good job directing. Uh, mm-hmm. Given this, you know, this isn't a, a. I don't think this is a, a highly budgeted movie um, by by the usual standards. And I think with the resources he's got, he does a damn good job of it. Uh, certainly better than I've seen from some A-list directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's a highly enjoyable film. It, it is one that I will probably watch again at some point, uh, and I will give it a three and a half out of five and then just just to touch on something quickly you mentioned um, this is the kind of movie that you probably wouldn't get made nowadays you know not in its truncated fashion mm, not with this not, same yeah, and dark tale yeah not with, not with great difficulty mm. I don't think it, it would definitely have to be uh, an independent um, and it probably mm. wouldn't I mean like the, the closest thing I can think of is Texas Killing Fields just just when I think about tone and, and whatnot um, it's it's of it, it's a completely different kind of film because that that really mm. is about cops not the not the bad side of the, the law but um, yeah just in terms of tone and what you'd get away with these days uh, I think about something like that and that didn't really make a dent at all at the box office uh, so uh, yeah um yeah, it, it it is hard to make films like this these days, and and like you you said before, there's there's a certain efficiency to the way that Red has made this film. Like you look at the running time, it's it's like eighty four minutes, something like that. Um, there's no there's no real baggage on there. It's like you say these days, if you're going to release that, I would imagine the studio saying, look, we need it, we need it around the one one hour forty mark. You know, it's yeah. just that's. It's the way we release things these days, but uh, yeah, I, I like films that are as long as they need to be, not as long yes. as the studio needs them to be. Um, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the top five for this episode, Brian, was top five uh, assassin movies. You know what? Which of all the top fives we've done, it wasn't until I got into this and started looking at films with assassins or about assassins that I suddenly realised just how many great ones there are. Coming up with a yeah. top five for this was flipping hard, man. Really um, hard. Yeah, I gave up 
like I just you know I was looking at them and I'm like geez so I mean that's a great movie that's and I, I just end up going you know what personal preference I think I, I put the, the laptop away and I was I think of five assassin movies that I really like like I really love um, so th- this won't be the best ever assassin movies and I'm pretty quite sure you'll have a few problems with some of mine let, yeah. let me just reel off a list. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna talk about them in any way. I just want to reel off a list of honourable mentions on my part. Some of these will probably be in your top five, but I just want to reel them off just so that people understand that actually I had to pick five movies that I thought were better than these. Okay, hmm. um, House of Flying Daggers, Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Sicario, Kill Bill, No Country for Old Men, Leon, Leon, oh, it cripples me not to put Leon on on my top five, Collateral, Jack Reacher, Pulp Fiction, John Wick 1 and 2, Seven Psychopaths, Looper, The Bourne Films, uh, Valkyrie, Ninja Assassin and Haywire, those last two are more guilty pleasures than anything else, but yeah, like that right there is... You know, that, that, that was more than 10 films I just listed. That You could make a top 10 just with those films I listed. And I picked five that I think are, are better than those. So that's that's how hard it was to make this list. Um, I, I kind of went for movies where the main character is an assassin. Right. Um, and even then, I think one of them may skirt that a little bit, but we'll talk about it when we get to it. But um, these are all movies that I personally love some of the ones you've mentioned are better movies mm. you know than these ones it's just a fact I'm, I'm not going to dispute that but it's just a, a case of personal preference these are the ones that I would put on before them but some of the ones you mentioned like I said are better movies so who's going to start on this one Brian you know what <laughs> <laughs> just 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 listening uh, just listening to how you weighed it up um, I'm wondering if I should remove my number one and just bump <laughs> things up a, a notch just because if, if we do, if we do do it where the main characters are assassins then then yeah i i could i could remove my number one and put a different film in there um it's uh, your call that's just the limitations i put on myself that was yeah nothing. yeah well like my, my number one choice has an assassin in it like the assassin the assassin is the kind of like the main villain but right. not necessarily the main character. Leave it. We'll stick with this top five. We'll stick with the top five. Mm-hmm. Forget it. I always get this. Whenever we do the top fives, it's always like, what rules are we playing this game by? But no, we'll, let, let's stick with what we got. Go on. Mm-hmm. Right, I, I'll let you go first. You give me your number okay. five. Uh, my number five, uh, a movie I've watched way more than probably should have and probably the only person that would put it on his top five Assassin's movies. And that movie is Assassin's. <laughs> Uh, starting <laughs> and Antonio Banderas. Oh man, I didn't even put that on my honourable mentions. I I thought about it. Um, is is that not written by the Wachow- Wachowskis? Uh, do you know what? I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm reasonably um, certain that, that it's written by the Wachowskis. Right, if it is, that's that's a, that's a big one. If it is, um, mm. the reason I I love this movie, um, and it's kind of when Stallone wasn't at his best. Uh, in the mid-90s, you know, it wasn't getting the, the big roles that it used to get. Yeah. The thing about this movie is, is the way it changes midway through. 
So it kind of goes from like an action movie and then midway through it changes to like a tense thriller waiting game, cat and mouse game between these two guys. And uh, I just, I love that change. It could be something that's a little bit off-putting for most people, um, but I loved it. I think Julianne Moore is this a female hacker in it as yeah. well. Um, but I loved it. I loved the action. I loved the city interplay between Banderas and um, Stallone. Just had a lot of fun with this movie, and it's one I've been back to quite a few times. Yeah, have you I, seen Assassins, Brian? I, think I, you I have. have. I've I've seen it twice. I think. Um, I remember absolutely loving it the first time, and mm-hmm. then I watched it like about five years later, and like some of the, well, a lot of the sheen had worn off. I mean, I'm actually looking at. Looking at it on IMDb now, I did give it still a 7 out of 10, which is higher than the 6.3 average it has. So I, I clearly mm. like it more than most. Um, it, I, I forgot it's directed by Richard Donner as well. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so it's, it's directed by Richard Donner. I, I think this is one I need to give a, another watch, actually, because I do like Richard Donner quite a lot as a director. Um, yeah, this is... Uh, that's a film I'm going to get around to again, I think. It's, it's going on my watch list. Um, but yeah, it is indeed written by the Wachowskis. So. Right, I, I, you know, I never knew that. Um, I actually thought I was going to get a bit of kickback about that one. All right, no, no, no. Because yeah, I think, I think the, the, the reputation of it now isn't a great one. Mm. Okay, yeah. Brian, you're number five. Okay, so my number five is what is for me personally the best Steven Spielberg film and that is Munich it is not the most rewatchable Steven Spielberg film uh, it's certainly not the most fun you know you want fun from Spielberg you go to Jurassic Park uh, Indiana Jones things like that but just as, as, a, as a movie which just on purely a technical level and the, the way it's crafted um, yeah, I would probably say it's Spielberg's best. Uh, Munich, it's about the true life story of the Munich Olympics where you know the terrorists came in and, and killed all the, uh, the athletes. And then this is about the, the team that was put together, the Jewish team of assassins put together to, to basically take vengeance for those attacks. Uh, you know, it stars Eric Banner, Daniel Craig, a few other fairly big name actors as these assassins. And yeah, I just I think it's brilliantly handled. Um, very gritty to say the least. Quite a stressful film to watch. Uh, it, it, much in the same way that Schindler's List is. You know, it's it's like I say, it's it's not one that you're just gonna bang in. Oh, I feel like watching uh, Munich. Let's fun movie uh it's, it's, it's quite a depressing experience to watch it's you feel the weight on your shoulders after you've seen it but sometimes that's just the kind of film i i want to watch <laughs> call me uh yeah whatever but yeah, that's one of the i think it's one of two spielberg movies i haven't seen oh right um, okay yeah and i've heard it's one of his best as well so yeah. uh, it's something i will get to at some point but yeah unfortunately i haven't seen it so as we move from you from one of Spielberg's best movies onto a movie that I do love. Um, I don't know what everybody else's thoughts on that, but I'll, I'll spit it out there. Lucky number 11. <laughs> right, this is one of these movies that I know people just don't like, but for me, I absolutely 
adore it. Right, Brian, go on. your thoughts on this movie? <laughs> it's, it's not a bad movie. Um, I, I actually like the director of it. I think the director has made better. But I'm just, I'm just, I don't know. I'm just thinking of that list of over <laughs> 10 movies that I rattled off earlier. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I, I say Collateral is better. A lot of those movies that you said are far better. This no is one Country just... for Old Men, Kill yeah, Bill, better. Leon, mm-hmm. uh, Pulp Fiction, uh, John Wick. You know, uh, yeah. But no, no. You know, no. Lucky, lucky number 11. <laughs> I, there's something about this kind of movie that I just really like. The one where it's it, it's kind of like got a big say, twist where everybody's playing everybody else at the end of it. It's got all these great actors in it. It's just a fun and enjoyable flick. Right. Yeah, I, I I love it. I I love it probably way more than I should do, Brian. And then mm-hmm. you know any other day this could have been a lot higher in my list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not ashamed at all. Oh man, look, look, there's, there's no shame. It's not a bad film. It's not like you're trying to say, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of like the worst possible assassin movie now. Um, it's not like you're trying to say X versus Sever is in your top five. Uh, oh, wait, that's coming up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, no, but but it's just yeah, like I say, when I when I rattle off the list of films that I couldn't put in my top five, and you've got Lucky Number Eleven in there, I'm, yeah, that's that's uh, that's that's a feat, man. That is a feat. I'll give you that. Um, okay, my number four is In Bruges uh, from one of my favourite writer directors, Martin McDonough. I I love his brother as well, John Michael McDonough. Between the two of them, they've made six films. Not a bad one among them. I think that the worst worst film they've made between the two of them is probably War on Everyone, but even that is a pretty good film. Um, so, yeah, this this is from Martin McDonough, who recently obviously picked up the all those nominations for Three Billboards. Uh, I, I still think In Bruges is the better film. Uh, I, I think... Maybe Three Billboards is a bit more accomplished. I don't know, but I just I love the just the irreverence of In Bruges and just yeah the fact that the, the yeah he's willing to offend everyone in that film, you know, um, and and just one of Colin Farrell's best performances is you know so he's this hitman who's accidentally shot this kid during a hit something that amongst the hitman community is a big no-no. So they go to in Bruges, they go to Bruges to wait it out, to, to find out what, what's going to be done about it. And a hitman is dispatched to, well, actually, uh, the, the, his partner is told to, to kill him, basically. Uh, and just, yeah, Colin Farrell's performance in it, one of the best of his career. He really taps into that feeling of remorse, of guilt, um, Catholic guilt, a fe- uh, something that is very prominent in the films of these two brothers, of the McDonough brothers. Um, yeah, I love it. It's funny as well, just non-stop funny. Like I say, irreverent humour. It's not, it's not the most tasteful of, of films when it comes to the humour, but you just can't help but laugh. And I, I think, as I say, I think Brendan Gleeson are always, always great to watch. But Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell. Just 
Yeah, great characters, great performances, really pulls you in. Yeah. Um, I've seen In Bruges once before, a long while ago. It's something that I really need to revisit. Um, I don't remember too much about it, but I do remember really liking it as well. Mm. Okay, um, on to my number three, which is Leon, or mm. The Professional, depending on yeah. wherever you are. Yeah. Luke Besson's terrific assassin mm. movie. Uh, Jean Reno, uh, Natalie Portman, Gary Oldman, and my, my favourite character, a character that I really just despise in the movie, but was my favourite is Danny Aiello's sort of assassin manager. Yeah, you know the kind of guy that's taking care of his money for him mm. and, and looking out for his best interests, but just mm. there's, there's the, it's a small role, but it's one of these horribly, horribly leechy type people yeah. that you meet in life. Um, and I like the tale of this this assassin, this guy who's really good at what he does, who takes somebody under his wing and tries to to father them in the best way that he knows how, which is how to train them how to kill <laughs> um, and, and Natalie Portman is excellent and as always you've got the, the, the scenery chewing Gary Oldman yeah. and some terrific action set pieces as well mm-hmm. especially when the, I think the SWAT team storm his building yeah yeah it, it is I think when you think of assassins and assassin movies it's one of the ones that's it's probably going to be on everybody's list or it will jump to their head straight away yeah. um, it, it's not a movie that I watch often because I enjoy it, because I feel as if it, it's, it's melancholy and sort of bleak ending for Leon. Mm. Kind of takes it down a bit, but it's probably more realistic an ending to yeah. these type of characters. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, I think it's Luke Besson's best film. I don't think he's ever bettered it, to be honest. Mm. Um, a lot of people really love Fifth Element. Uh, I, I still think Leon is his best piece of work. Um, and like like I said, kills me that I I couldn't put it on my top five. Um, mm. I, you know, I I think it's probably it might be more watchable, rewatchable than the likes of Munich. Um, but yeah, I, I just man, this this top five that I've got it's just it, <laughs> it, it it is it's a killer like Sicario man Sicario it kills me ah how can I not put Sicario in that top five Kill Bill. Oh, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's painful, really painful. But uh, my number three is Gross Point Blank. Uh, this is a film that not enough people have seen, I don't think. Um, it's a classic of the 90s, and you don't really get to say that often, especially the mid-90s. Uh, uh, it might, might be 97, I think, this, I don't know. Um, but I, I love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, I've seen it loads of times. Um, probably my favourite John Cusack film. Yeah, I think definitely my favourite John Cusack film. Uh, I just, it's, it's tremendous. And it's funny. And the action in it is really great. There's one of the best fight scenes in, in, in any film that I've seen in which John Cusack goes up against his real-life kickboxing trainer um so the two of them because they know each other because they spar with each other all the time in real life they choreograph this fight scene together and and yeah it's you know you can tell it's never stuntmen there's there's never stuntmen used it's just those two going at each other uh sometimes it looks like they're genuinely hitting each other um and it's just yeah one of my favorite fight scenes in there but 
beyond that, just really good character development about this guy who is a hitman. He goes back to his goes to his back to his high school because his ten year high school reunion. Um, yeah, just how awkward is that? You know what what have you been doing for the last ten years? Uh, yeah, I've killed a few people. Um, but it is it's it's a comedy, it's a drama, it's a, a great comic performance from Dan Aykroyd as well. Mm. Uh, maybe one of one of his last truly great comic performances, I think. Uh, Mini Driver is fantastic as well as his high, as as the high school sweetheart that he goes back to visit. Um, yeah, I love it. Uh, mm. Great film. Yep, yep, agreed. Um, my number two is Hannah. Oh. Uh, starring. What's up, Brian? You don't like this one. It's, I, I, just, mm, all the films on your list so far have been like middling ones. They're, they're all ones that didn't that, that I looked at when I was making this list, but they didn't quite make the honourable mentions list. Like Hannah. No. Hannah see, Joe Wright is one of mm. those directors who, ever since Atonement, uh, you know, Atonement just like blew me away. Fantastic film. I thought, this is a guy to watch. This is a great director, you know, the next best British director that we've got. Um, and since then, until Darkest Hour, he hasn't done anything that I that, that, that has really grabbed me in the way Atonement did. Uh, Hannah is one of those films that has got a collection of really great action scenes. That one in particular that's done in the one long shot. But yeah. the, the, whole, the thing as a whole just doesn't quite coalesce. And, and yeah, I've got to say, I've been pretty disappointed with Joe Wright's work since Atonement. Yeah, when's the last time you saw Hannah? Uh, about a year ago. Yeah, see, I, every now and again I'll throw it on and I, it just marvels me with some of the... I, I do actually quite like the, the direction. And like the, you mm. said, that, that scene in the underground... Um, but it's all one shot. It's the weirdly designed, and it's Eric Bana taking on several people. It's fantastic. Mm. I love the the idea of Shasha Ronan um, as this young girl who's been trained to be a killing machine, finally getting loose on the world and just almost discovering the world, discovering herself, and defeating the bad guys. Also, does it? Kate Blanchett's in it as well, who's terrific as the the, the baddie. This is is one of these movies that. I love everything about it. I love the, the weirdness of some of the characters. You know, the the the, the henchman in the tracksuit that's always whistling mm. and Yeah. It's just it's just oddity. But it's that it's my kind of oddity and I love some of the cinematography in that in this as well and some of the locations and how they go about doing what they're doing. I I think it's just a, a really a really good movie. Really fun. Um and like you said, great action set pieces. But I think it's tied together because of the filmmaking. I really do think that Joe Wright does a terrific job here. No, I, I do. I, I think his directing on this is fantastic. And and like I say, it's that whole thing where you've got a director here who is an who 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 is an A list talent, but isn't quite using isn't quite getting the best scripts. Like for me, that the 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 fault in Hannah is the script. And don't get me wrong, I don't think it's a bad film. I think it's a good film. Uh, I actually do think Hannah is a good film. Um, but I saw that trailer. When that trailer came out, Hannah was like on on my top ten to see of that year. You know, it, it was one of the films I was most looking forward to. The trailer got me really excited. Um, 
and I just felt like we didn't quite get the film that was in that trailer. Uh, I think there was too much meandering around with with Hannah and that that family that she kind of hooks up with. Um, that wasn't the film I wanted to see. Uh, so yeah, but when, but when there's action, like I say, that's that scene definitely the standout scene of of the film. Mm. Um, then then Wright does prove himself to be a pretty flashy director. Um, oh, Brian, I can't wait to. To hear your reaction when we get to my number one. Oh, good grief. Um, <laughs> I'm dreading it, man. It's like, I've, I've been picking like all five star, absolute <laughs> classics, and you're Who's like, the fun in that? Lucky number 11, Hannah, whatever the other one was that you've. Oh, Assassins. Assassins. Yeah, it's like, man alive. Okay. Um, number two, uh, there were three films that were that were released this, this same year uh, this being one of them the the other was There Will Be Blood which is one of my favourite movies and the other is No Country for Old Men which didn't quite make this list um, uh, but obviously those two films were nominated for Best Picture uh, No Country for Old Men won Best Picture but for me this film which didn't even pick up a nomination I th- well, I thought at the time should have won. And now I'm probably more inclined to say There Will Be Blood, but I still would have picked this one over No Country for Old Men. And that film is The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Um, just amazing. Absolutely. Roger Deakins should have got an Oscar for cinematography on this. No question. Absolutely no question. Now, he did shoot No Country for Old Men as well, but... Man alive. The cinematography on this film is just beautiful. I think it's his best work until he did Blade Runner 2049. Um, if I was to do a top top five Roger Deakins, yeah, I'd go Blade Runner 2049 and this would be number two. Uh, one of the most beautiful films, beautiful looking films I've seen, but just a great meditation on character and what it takes to become a killer what it takes to 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 pull that trigger you know it's not it's not your conventional hitman it is obviously based on the true story of jesse james or more to the point the guy who killed him um and it does look at motivations what motivates someone to do that um and it's it's very much a a play on fame you know it's it's a it's a tale that's really all about fame and those who seek it and those who have it but don't want it um and yeah great film really great film yeah that's that's the one i've not seen either but i know i've heard fantastic things about it it's something that interests me brad pitt casey affleck it's andrew dominic it is yeah 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 okay so we'll move on to my number one Right. Any guesses? Please don't say killing them softly. My number one is killing them. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> it's gross point blank. Hey. You've already yeah. mentioned it. Um, this, this is one of those movies that, like you say, criminally underseen. It, mm. It's almost like a, somebody's took the sort of core things that make a John Hughes movie <laughs> and then just sort of like through all these violent scenes into it. <laughs> um, you, you do get this character who, and, and it is, it's a comedy movie um, with violence in it, but it's more about this character's midlife crisis. 
Mm. You know, he's yeah. trying to figure out where he, he lands <laughs> in life. You know, where he is and what's happened to him since he left high school. And it's this high school reunion that's kind of spurred all this on. He, he's, he's not happy with where he is in the world. Um, one of the, the, the best things about it, he didn't really touch on it too much, is the soundtrack. Mm. All, all these yeah. like early 80s songs are, are just, everyone is like a needle drop. It's fantastic. Mm. And then, like you said as well, the, the, the sort of violent scenes, the action set pieces are pretty terrific for this kind of comedy movie. You've got the, the one with the blow up, the, the mini mart. <laughs> you, and then you get the, the fight with the other assassin at the school later on. Mm. And, the way that um, Blank goes through the movie, just constantly just being truthful with everybody. You know, he he doesn't really tell any lies. He's just, he knows that nobody's going to buy it. He's just that way. He reconnects with his lost love. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a terrific movie. And, um, you know, if, if anybody out there hasn't seen it, you need to check this out as soon as you can. Big time, big time. Yeah, it's, it, it there was a time when it was in my top ten movies of all time. Um, so back back in the late nineties, you know, you, you asked me what my top ten movies are. That that was in there. Of course, point blank was mm. in there. It, it just it works, but it's it's things that shouldn't really go together. Mm. Yeah. What's the, what's the the elements in this movie? It seems kind of off putting, but it just it's one of these everything just clicks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and there was there was a lot of talk for many years afterwards that they were going to do a sequel and I was always gutted that they never did um, see I don't know if I want a sequel to this mm, I, I don't know it just, it just it all depends if you know if they can I mean anyway, it's, it's, it's a moot point now because it's not going to happen at this stage but just uh, yeah it would have been yeah if, if, if they could have matched the quality then I, I definitely would have mm. gone to watch it you know, as, as as we've said before, you get if you get a sequel to something and it's bad, it doesn't it doesn't tarnish it. Like it doesn't stop <laughs> you having it doesn't stop you having that original. It doesn't uh, it doesn't ruin your childhood. No, <laughs> as as some Star Wars fans are so fond of saying these days. I yeah, mean, I use the term fans in in the loosest of possible ways. But um, yeah, okay. So my number one uh, is a film that we have reviewed on here before. Like I say, the main characters aren't assassins, but there is a very big assassin kind of subplot in it, uh, and that is the nice guys. So, yeah, I I won't talk too much about it because we have reviewed it. So if people want to know mm-hmm. our thoughts, go and check out that review. But it was my favorite film of the year that it came out, which was not last year, but the year before. Um, so yeah, uh, Gosling and Crow, not a couple I would have thought to put together on screen, but man, what a decision. Just, mm-hmm. yeah, it just brought out the best in both of them. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. Um, before you, you did your top five, you were talking about changing things about what were you going to change? I was actually going to get rid of the nice guys off my number one, and that was mainly because, um, like I say, it doesn't centre around assassins as main characters. Mm. It's 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 more that the main characters go up against an assassin. Um, so I, I yeah, I was tempted to to flip either Sicario or Leon in into my top five and uh, and bump 
bump all the other ones I've already mentioned up one spot. So, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll stick with Nice Guys just because, as a film, for me personally, it's the best of the the bunch that I have on this list. It's the one that I will watch more than any other. I think it's it's both entertaining, um, but also uh, just intelligently made. I think. Yeah. Okay. Now on to the terrifying or exciting. <laughs> It's a, it's Either certainly way. your favourite part of the show. Um, so yes. uh, it's it's my favourite part when I'm not having to do the de- decision making. So uh, let's let's just get into it. So this the, the, for those who don't know, uh, and uh, actually before we get into this, uh, I will do a bit of housekeeping. Something we often fail to do. If if you've enjoyed <laughs> this show so far, if you like what we do, if you listen to us regularly, please do go onto iTunes. And give us a review, uh, just just a, just a short one. Don't have to be an essay, just a, a sentence or two, and just give us that five star review rating because it really does help us to get seen. Um, yeah, we'd really appreciate that. So, yeah. So this segment of the show, uh, like I say, it's can, can be our favorite, depending on how it goes. Is where one of us takes five movies and we give clues to those movies to the other person and that person gets to pick one of them which will be the the film that we review on the next brits on flicks so this month i am giving the clues graham has to pick so let's let's get cracking so number one number one when a group of friends take his gold this murderous little deviant goes on the rampage to take it back. Number two. Oh, Brian, that says the leprechaun. <laughs> a crash landing through the eye of a storm sends a pilot into a whole heap of monkey business. Number three. With the majority of the population now turned blood-sucking vampire... How do you solve the problem of decreased food source? Number four. As students begin dying at her school, this girl's psychic powers may provide the answer. And number five. When two people with a history of mental problems agree to help each other out, they may just end up having the time of their life. Hmm. Okay, give me number one again, Brian. When a group of friends take his gold, this murderous little deviant goes on the rampage to take it back. Right, number two again. A crash landing through the eye of a storm sends a pilot into a whole heap of monkey business. Right. And number four. As students begin dying at her school... This girl's psychic powers may provide the answer. Hmm. Okay. I just is this the point where I just throw out random guesses? <laughs> you usually do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll say like Leprechaun, Kong, Skull Island, Daybreakers, Silver Linings Playbook. That's just my random guesses. One I have no idea about is number four. Um, I'm going to get rid of number five. 
Okay, that is Silver Linings Playbook. Okay, okay. And ooh. did you Number like two. my little clue about having the time of their life? Yeah, no, I don't even notice that. There's a reference to Dirty Dancing. Of course, they do the the dance from Dirty Dancing at the end, or they try to at any rate. They try it all to. goes wrong. Yeah, I'm going to get rid of number two, Brian. Oh. You've gotten rid of Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. <sighs> okay. Could say it's been a while. That bullet. It's, it's been a while since I've seen that. So. Mm. Um. Whoa. Number uh, number four is the one that I have absolutely zero grasp on whatsoever, but I've I've got to imagine that some kind of like teen crapper. <laughs> um, go ahead, go ahead, give me number four again. Just As students begin dying at her school, this girl's psychic powers may provide the answer. Curiosity really did kill the cat because there's nothing in there that really appeals to me, but the fact that I have no idea what it is appeals to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, oh, I'm going to get rid of number one Leprechaun. Yeah, I, I watched that in the past year. Hmm. I've never seen it. Right. <laughs> I've never seen it. I picked it up from a charity shop for 50p, so I thought, yeah. why not? Are you going to watch all eight or nine? Oh. Really? I thought they'd done like five. I didn't realise no. they'd done that many. It, it jumps up to create. There's Leprechaun in Space. There's Leprechaun in the Hood. There's Leprechaun <laughs> in the Hood 2. Really? <laughs> oh, man. That's, is that like Leprechaun 5? Leprechaun in the Hood 2? Like <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the one I, I just never quite understood. But um, yeah, okay. So I've got it between three and four here. So we've got Daybreakers or number four. I'm going to get rid of number three, Brian. You are indeed getting rid of Daybreakers. I, I'm going to go for the mystery box. Number four is a film that you inflicted on me as a gift, which I have yet to see, so I feel that if it is indeed going to be an affliction, it is one that we should share together. And that film is, of course, Phenomena. Dario Argento's Phenomena. Fantastic. I'm really happy with that one, actually. Okay. I've never yeah. seen it. Um, I think because, like I say, you, you rather generously got it me as a gift. I figure let's, let's watch it together and review it. You'll get my yes. first thoughts on it on the next Brits on Flicks. Because, uh, get, tell me if I'm wrong here, Brian, but um, uh, Giallo movies aren't really your thing, and particularly Argento is definitely somebody you've not really connected with. Is that well? I, I've seen what I can't even say that I've seen it. I've 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 experienced one of his movies, which was a film called Trauma. I believe yes. it. I believe that was Argento. Uh, we watched. I mean, I I may have just been far too young. Quite frankly, I I was about eight when we got it out. <laughs> no, I may, I may have been about ten. I think I was about ten. Um, my dad picked it out from the video shop. We got it back. We watched about 15 minutes. We turned it off. We took it back. We got it exchanged for something else. Um, yeah. Could you do uh, that? W w yeah. They, if, if you took the film back, 
um, within the space of time, within less than the space of time it would take you to watch it, then they would recognise the fact that, well, clearly you couldn't have watched the whole thing in, in, in this time. So, yeah, we, we, yeah, we'll exchange it for something else. Um, All right. I've, I've, I've had my head for that before. Yeah, we literally rented it out, we got it home, banged it on, and about 40 minutes later we were back at the video shop saying, look, this is unwatchable, sorry, is there any chance we could get something else? And as long as you you asked nicely about it, they were always like, yeah, no worries, we'll swap it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so just out of curiosity, Brian, what's your top five? Top five uh, is the top five Jennifer Connolly movies okay are we allowed to have all five as labyrinth <laughs> <laughs> no okay oh, so there you go fantastic that's something to look forward to I'm actually quite excited about that um, mm -hmm. is this, this is another first time watch for both of us this will be the third movie in wow. the spin okay so yeah. I, I take it you own it as well do you Yes, yes, I have a copy. Right, excellent. So, mm. nice one. I, I like it when we do first-time watches for both of us, so that's good. Yeah, as long as there's something to actually talk about in the movie. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> never fun. know, do you, until you've watched it. Mm. But. No, okay. not at all. So, fantastic. So, we'll see you next month on Brits on Flicks for Phenomena. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.